this one into the night. Jimmy Rollins is going to try for three. Here he comes. In the air, down the right field line. Way back there. Out of RBI, hit by Mitchie Poole. Here's the throw to the plate. It's in the air. He is. Oh! The 0-2 How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm Nathan Ackerman coming at you with another episode as the Phillies are streaking as it feels like they've been doing for the last month and a half or so. But this time it's the good kind of streak. They've won five straight, two against the Nationals, three against the Tigers. Joining me to talk about that win streak and a whole host of other Phil's topics. Todd Zalecki, Phillies beat writer with MLB.com. Todd, thank you so much for joining the show. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Good. Thanks a lot, of course. And, you know, why don't we get started pretty much? Let's get right into things. Obviously, the Phillies have won five straight. As I said, they've been doing this thing for the last month or month and a half or so, where they'll win four, lose four, win three, lose five, win four, lose six. Now they've won five. Um, Those aren't the exact numbers. That's just what it feels like they've been doing off the top of my head. Of course, they've been playing not exactly the best teams in the sport. As I said, two against the Nationals, three against the Tigers. What have you seen from the past five games or so that um, is it more does it does it feel like they've just been, you know, playing well against bad teams, which, of course, is important. That's what they did last year. But um, does it feel like they're really starting to turn things around or is this just yet another streak that they'll follow up by losing six? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I would like to see what the next seven games hold with the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks on the road. You know, Dodgers being the Dodgers, of course, and Diamondbacks are such a good, young, fun team to watch. So. Uh, I guess the proof will be over these next seven games, but you're right. You need to beat bad teams and they've beaten bad teams. I think, you know, if you're looking for reasons to think or, 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 you know, to point to why they might be turning this thing around, I would probably say you've seen four good starts in a row, um, starting with Ranger Suarez on Sunday and then Nola, then Walker, then Zach Wheeler on, on Thursday night against the Tigers. That's super encouraging. Um, I'm a big believer. I think a lot of people are that, you know, you need really good starting pitching to win over 162 game season. So that's, that's good. I think the fact that you've seen Trey Turner have some better at bats recently, uh, you know, that Kyle Schwarber is, is heating up a little bit, uh, maybe hitting into a little bit of better luck. I think those things are important because in my mind, um, if you wanted to like single out a few players that are key to this turnaround, it's, it's Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, Aaron Nolan, Taiwan Walker, and they've all had, they've all had pretty good weeks so far. Yeah. And I want to get into the lineup a little bit, but I want to start with the starting staff. I mean, as you said, the last four starts have all been pretty great. The number five spot is still the number five spot. That's kind of a week to week kind of thing. They seem to sort of skip that whenever they can or find ways around, um, you know, getting really exposed in the spot where they're the the, yeah. the part of the roster where they're probably the most exposed. But those four, as you said, they've been phenomenal. Um, Nola, Walker, Wheeler started their starts against the Tigers with a combined 18 and a third innings of no hit ball, which is just, you know, astounding, of course. It's kind of the the thing where the 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 bullpen can be as good as it wants. The lineup can be as good as it wants. But if you don't get those three, especially especially the two guys at the, at the, at the top, if you don't get the kind of season that they got last year or the kind of, you know, 80th plus percentile kind of season from them, this team's not really going to do anything. How, how important, what, what have you seen from them the last start or two that, um, you know, makes it seem like they might be back on track? Obviously you had a story about the contract stuff, whether that's weighing 
um, you yeah. know, on them, but it is what, what do you see from them over the past week or so that really makes you think that they could be finding a rhythm here as we get into the middle of June? Well, I think one, one easy thing you can always point to is, is velocity, like their velocity has jumped. And if your velocity, your fastball goes up an extra mile, mile and a half, that can make a big difference in terms of how your secondary pitches go. Yeah. Uh, Nola has always been a big fastball command guy getting ahead in the count. He didn't really have that. Uh, he hasn't had that as much. I feel like uh, he's been striking out fewer batters, walking a little bit, you know, a uh, few more batters. And uh, he, he seemed to kind of correct that in his last start against the Tigers. He took a big jump in velocity. Um, you know, and, we, and Wheeler, I feel like he's been the victim of some bad defense. Uh, I wrote about that a couple weeks ago. A lot of his, if you look at a lot of his expected metrics, uh, fielding independent pitching, expected ERA, things like that uh he's he's he has had some he's been he's been the victim of a lot of misfortune i remember there's a game a couple weeks ago where there was like an error bryson stada had an error uh very catchable fly ball fell into left field for a base hit and then the inning kind of spiraled out of control uh so but i but i think you're right it, it you have to have Wheeler and Nola have Wheeler and Nola like seasons you know they don't have necessarily have to match everything they've done in the past but you really need those two guys every time through more often than not to at the very least give you a quality type of start, you know, three, three runs, six innings. You need that type of effort from those two guys because your three and four guys, Ranger Suarez is obviously very good, uh, has been pretty consistent. He looks like he's really picking it up. Uh, Tywin Walker to me is kind of an enigma. He's so up and down, you know, just really good one start and like, all right, maybe he's got in the next start. He's got like, he can't throw a pitch over 93 miles an hour and you're going, Oh my gosh, this guy hurt. Like what's going on. Uh, so because you have the three and four guys pitching like three and four guys and you have really nothing going on at number five, uh, you, you need Nola and Wheeler to step up. So I'm not super worried about either of those two guys. Um, I know some people are always panicking about Nola and, you know, the beginning and, and, and whatnot. Um, I guess I'm a little bit more uh, bullish on, on their ability to get things straightened out, but they, but it's super important. It's super important. No doubt. Yeah. Walker too. He's been pretty much all year. It's been kind of two good starts, one bad, three good starts, one bad, four good, two bad, that kind of thing. You know, a lot of what yeah. the team has been doing for the past couple weeks here, but I mean, over the last four starts, he's been pretty great. And it, it, it really, the, the point where, he started to show some signs of promise and then sort of fell back down again was that start in San Francisco where he didn't make it out of the first. But even even that start, it always felt kind of fluky to me because he had he hadn't been walking anyone his past two starts. I think he had no walks over his past two starts to start June um, or to start to start May. And then he goes he walks two guys randomly and then he allows like a blue base hit that extends one inning and then. There's like a, a ground ball right to where Trey Turner would have been, but he was in a shift. So the ball got through and it ended up like two thirds of an inning, four runs, that kind of thing, two walks. But it just felt like that wasn't representative at all of the kind of pitcher that he'd been for the past couple starts after he's, you know, throwing the splitter more, that kind of thing. And then what you've seen from the past few weeks of him was, you know, more, he's still going to walk a few guys here and there. Um, you know, there's a game where he went like six innings allowed 10 hits, but he only allowed three runs. And it just seems like he's really moved past that and been, you know, more the guy that he was to start the month of May with the increased diet of splitters. 
rather than the guy who got a ton of bad luck in San Francisco, which, as you said, has been the story of a lot of the team, um, especially on the starting yeah. side for, you know, in terms of how the bad luck has gone. Yeah, and, and and they need more of that. You know, I thought it was it was interesting after uh, the start on Tuesday night. You know, we asked him like, well, okay, you know, last week against the Mets, you couldn't throw a fastball to save your life, and now you're, you know, you're had some of your best fastball velocity. I think it was definitely, I think, for the season, maybe second best of the season, best of the season. And I, I just thought it was interesting. I'd never heard a pitcher say this before. He's like, you know, I just needed to get, I need to get my body moving more. Mm-hmm. And he said he's going to start uh shagging more fly balls in the outfield maybe catch some more ground balls at first base take some infield practice I've literally never heard a pitcher say that in my life um but Taiwan Walker said he and Marcus Stroman did it a couple years ago at again uh, with the Mets and sure enough yesterday afternoon at the ballpark there's Taiwan Walker at first base just catching some catching some throws from some of the infielders taking infield practice I'm like hey whatever works, you know, if, yeah. if that's going to get Taiwan Walker going, if he feels that that's going to get his body moving more, if that he feels like he needs more athletic movements to keep him, you know, more limber from start to start, I, you know, more, more power to him. But <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, I remember walking up to the clubhouse after the game going, that is the first time I've ever heard a pitcher say the key to me pitching well tonight against the Tigers was I fielded more ground balls between <laughs> in between my starts so that was yeah that was a first that was a first yeah I want to get into the to the lineup a little bit and as you were talking about Taiwan Walker taking grounders at at first base it it occurred to me I hadn't really thought of this for the past few weeks but they were that was what Bryce Harper was doing for a few weeks or so back in the early of back in in the in the beginning of May when he was first coming back to the lineup um, you know, they were, they were, they were thinking of trotting him out there to play first base. What's the progress on that? Is that still going to happen? Or is that something that if it, it feels like it hasn't really been a headline for a couple of weeks now? Yeah. So I, I still think it's going to happen at some point because I just, you know, it just make, increases your flex, Rob Thompson's flexibility with the lineup. Um, but Rob said might've been during the road trip when we were in Atlanta, he said, when he's not expecting Bryce to come back and play first base until after the all-star break, which makes sense. Okay. He's still throwing. He just the other day, he threw from 60 feet on back-to-back days, which is, a, which is another step forward. Um, Cause before he'd been throwing from 60 feet, throwing from 90 feet, but taking a couple days off in between. So the fact that he's throwing back-to-back days, I, I think is another step forward, but it's a slow process. And I get it because worst case scenario is Bryce Harper's your DH all season. That, that's yeah. not that bad. It, it worked last year. Um, you know, well, I should say, you know, worst case scenario in terms of him staying healthy, the worst, worst case scenario, of course, is they push him too hard to play first base. He messes up the elbow, and now he's got to go on the injured list to let the elbow rest so he can get back in the lineup as a DH. The Phillies, at, at, you know, they absolutely want to avoid that. If he can get in the field, great. But I still think that is a plan. They still feel th- feel like he can play first base. I talked to Bobby Dickerson a few weeks ago, actually in, in San Francisco, and and he was like, "This guy, he's 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 good." He's like, "I'm going to go on a limb and say, if he really wanted to down the road, he could be a Gold Glove first baseman," which is you know, coaches talk like that all the time. Yeah. Um, and and Bobby wants to throw some praise on Bryce. That's great. Uh, but I, they, I think they do think that he can go out there and play competently, which would open a lot of doors for the Phillies. Cause if Harper can play first base, 
then you can DH Kyle Schwarber when Kristen Pache comes back or whatever. You can maybe put him in, in center field when Brandon Marsh to left or vice versa. You can improve the outfield defense. That helps the pitching staff. There's a there's a big ripple effect there. And, you know, shoot, even down the road, if there's a miracle of miracles, you know, um, if Reese Hoskins could come back for the postseason, you could have him DH and have Bryce play first base. That would be pretty cool, too. Yeah. Why don't we talk about that? You you talked the other day to Reese Hoskins about possibly coming back. Um, obviously, he tore his ACL at the end of March there, but he pointed to a teammate who did that same kind of thing, tore his ACL, um, actually a little bit later into the season, around the middle of April, and then came back for the World Series at the end of October. Um, he said he's sort of eyeing that same kind of timeline. Um, he's, you know, he says he's a guy, he's always going to try to beat the standard, whatever, you know, the estimated comeback might be. He's going to try to try to, you know, um, outperform that. Obviously it would require them probably making the playoffs in order for him to have a chance to come back. Um, right. Of course that's in his plans and that's in the team's plans too. What did, what was your conversation with him? What did he say about where he's at now? He's obviously been back around the team with you know, a full beard too, which is a new set yeah. for a lot, a lot of people. Um, what, where's where's Reese Hoskins at? How is Kyle Schwarber kind of providing motivation, um, even if they're not talking about it, but just the fact that he did it once too and is now in the same clubhouse? What's that whole dynamic like as far as Reese Hoskins possibly making a miracle comeback? Yeah, so like, you know, Kyle Schwarber's lockers, two lockers down from from Reese, and, you know, they're obviously super tight and, and friends. And and uh, Reese says in a couple of weeks, hopefully he'll be cleared to jog. And then, you know, from obviously from that point, you know, at some point he'll start running again. And so um, I actually just talked with Kyle Schwarber about this yesterday. I'm going to, it'll be in my, not, I guess I can plug it, my Phillies newsletter on Saturday. If you're not a subscriber, I asked Kyle about this and it was really kind of a fascinating thing. And, and, and it makes, it kind of makes me think if Reese, Reese's body heals the way that he hopes it heals. And if he, suffers no setbacks obviously any setback puts everything out the window yeah. but Kyle Schwarber tore his ACL in 2016 on April 7th he had surgery on April 19th uh, between game between games two and three of the NLCS he flew to Texas on October 17th so six months minus two days post-op he went in there hoping that they'd get like a good report and they'd say yeah you're clear to play winter ball and the doctor said, you know what? I know what you guys are doing right now in the playoffs. He's like, honestly, as long as there's no unpredictable movements, meaning you can't play in the outfield, um, I don't see any reason why you, you know, I don't know about how you're going to hit, but I don't see any reason why you couldn't be cleared to play in the World Series. And so from between October 17th and October 25th, um, he got himself ready. And on October 25th, he started at DH in game one of the World Series. Uh, so you think about that way, right? You go, okay, he had surgery on April 19th and was back about six weeks and one, uh, six months and one week later, Reese Hoskins had ACL surgery on March 30th. If they would somehow file the same timeline again, you know, there's, there's so many ifs, maybe his body doesn't heal as well, you know, so whatever, but with that same timeline, Reese could potentially be back, you know, the second week of October. So yeah. say October 8th, 9th, 10th, that would be right around NLDS 
probably, you know, maybe, maybe not until the NLCS. Uh, so it's possible. Yeah. It's definitely possible. And I think, I think for Reese, it's just good to have something to shoot for. He said as much, I asked him, I said, well, what percent chance do you think he can come back and be ready? He's like, I don't want to put a percentage on it, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to try my butt off until they say it's not going to happen. So it's, it, it, it's something to kind of keep your eye on. I think as the season goes on and, you know, Schwarber said it best to me yesterday. He said, we have to do our part first to even yeah. make this long shot a possibility. So yeah. they're going to have to play well and make the playoffs, of course. And then, you know, say they don't win the division, you know, you'd have to put your money on the Braves right now. You'd have to say um, they would have to win the wild card, get into the NLDS, maybe even win the NLDS to give Reese Hoskins a shot to play again this season. But it would be an amazing story if it happened. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think just having the target date, having something to shoot for, as you said, um, that that was what worked for Bryce Harper. He said when he got the surgery um, Thanksgiving week, he was like May 1st, May 2nd against the Dodgers in Los Angeles. And um, yep. even if it seemed unrealistic at the time, it was like, at least I had a target. And that's what, you know, ended up making it happen for him. Um, and then if he were to come back in October, you can point to Schwarber as well and be like, maybe this is actually going to be significant because he hit like 400 in the World Series or something like that, um, yeah. obviously to help the Cubs win. So that would be huge. But obviously, as you said, they're going to have to make it there in order to make this all a possibility in the first place. I want to talk about the lineup in the short term because they had a nice little stretch there. The last game in Washington in Washington. Yeah. And then the first game at home against the Tigers. Um, scored a bunch of runs the next two games obviously they scored one on Tuesday but it was kind of fluky because they hit five balls that probably would have been out on any other night um, got right. knocked down by the wind and then yesterday Thursday they had one run through eight innings obviously came back in the ninth started with a Harper double Turner walked blah 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 things kind of escalated from there Cody Clemens with the walk-off but the lineup right now I think it's been good to see these like signs of life whether it's um, they score a lot of runs or they should hit a lot of homers or they have a nice, you know, little rally in the ninth, but it doesn't feel like this lineup is going to be fixed very long. I mean, I think when you sort of drew up what the lineup would look like when they signed uh, Trey Turner back in whenever that was December, there were a bunch of different iterations of the lineup that a bunch of people could have uh, drawn up. I don't think any of them had Trey Turner batting cleanup which is where he's been since Saturday. Obviously, some of them had Kyle Schwarber uh, leading off, and he's doing June Schwarber things, which is, you know, if if that's going to work, they're probably going to keep him there. But I don't think Turner's going to be hitting fourth for very long. Right now, they've had Castellanos hitting second, Harper hitting third. Rob Thompson has kind of even admitted that he doesn't want Turner hitting cleanup very long. He's like, yeah, if we can get him back to number two eventually, that would be nice. What do you sort of see as the timeline as to when that might happen? Because it's almost... You, you, you've won five straight. A lot of that has been because the offense has been good or at least timely. You don't want to mess things up, but from a pure like lineup dynamic perspective, again, Trey Turner batting cleanup is, is weird. I'm, I like, I, yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with him just trying anything because when they tried that, the lineup was bad. The team wasn't playing well. So it's working, but again, weird fit. Yeah, it is a weird fit. Yeah, I think ideally you want you want Trey Turner hitting hitting first or second. Um, yeah. yeah, and I and I'm I'm on board with Rob. I like to split up the lefties and create some balance in the lineup, so you can't throw a lefty out there in late innings and just mow through. You know, Schwarber Harper back to back. Um, I so 
how long does how long do they does Rob Thompson stick with it? You know, it, it's really hard to say. Um, and when things are going well, he you know he might be inclined to to stay with it for a little while longer. But um, no doubt, you want to have Trey Turner, I think, hitting first or second just because of the speed and you know the the impact he can have on the bases. And to this point, he really hasn't showed that as much because he hasn't been on on base that much. Uh, but I, I'll be honest, like I I'm not a um, I'm not a, it's going to sound weird, but I'm not like a huge lineup guy. So I, I, yeah. I, I talked to some of our guys at, at, um, at MLB.com are like Mike Petriello, one of our top, I mean, our, you know, one of our top researchers and one of our, you know, literally savants with baseball savant and stack cast. And I was talking to him about lineups and this was about the time when people were just killing Thompson for having Kyle Schober hit lead off for those four games in, uh, in, in LA and, and he said, really, over the course of a season, no matter where you hit guys, he says, unless you're hitting like your three best hitters, seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. it's not going to have that much of an impact. So like, as long as Harper's hitting in the top four spots, Turner, you know, as, as long as Schwarber's producing in the top four spots, you can kind of maneuver those guys around. And it's not going to have this huge dramatic impact, you know, like there's no silver bullet magic magic you know way of a magic wand lineup that's going to go oh my gosh they're going to go off and start ripping off seven runs a game so um mm-hmm. i'm not so was, i you know at some point yeah i think it's it's best to have one of your best hitters higher in the lineup and trey turner if only because he's going to get more at bats over the course of his season not necessarily because like oh if you have a speed guy here that's going to give bryce harper this and you want to have this guy to protect bryce harper to me, it's not so much that as you just you just want your best hitters at the top of the lineup. So if I would want to have, and I believe that Trey Turner is, you know, maybe the second best hitter on the team behind Bryce Harper uh, when you look at everything. So I, I want him hitting more. And even if it's just 20 plate appearances, 30 plate appearances over the course of the season between hitting second and fourth, I want him hitting second. So that's kind of that's kind of where I stand on on that. Mm-hmm. And the guy who's been hitting the most right now in terms of um, number of trips to the plate, but also in terms of hitting is, has been Kyle Schwarber. Uh, obviously the, the, the June thing has followed him around for a few years now. And it's like every year, yeah. every year, it's like, it's not going to happen again this year. Cause it's just a calendar month. Like, what is it? It's not like they're, you know, pitchers are pitching him more fastballs down the heart of the plate and he's going to hit them because it's June. It's like, but it just, it happens every time. It's like, it's almost so, it's it's almost like makes so little sense that it's like a lock to happen again every single year. I don't know what it is. He's even said he doesn't really know what it is. Do you know what it is? Why is he always I, good? I, June? Yeah, it, it is weird. I I almost think that it's a weird thing. It like in a sense, it might be in his head a little bit. Like, all right, yeah. this is I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start relaxing and. This is might almost maybe a confidence thing. I don't know, but he swears he doesn't know why it is. Um, but it is interesting. You could see late in May, even though he wasn't getting a lot of hits, he was walking a lot more. And actually, I think we were in Atlanta um, a couple, was it last week, a couple weeks ago? And I actually suggested to Rob, because everybody's, you know, again, everybody's focused on the lineup. How do you get this lineup going? Because at the time it was Turner and Stott at the top and they weren't getting on base. And I said, why not move Schwarber back up to the leadoff spot? And I know like that would drive me even suggesting that to Rob Thompson will probably drive some people nuts because 
you know, they look at the batting average, but at the time he was walking like his on-base percentage over like the previous seven games was like 400 or something. And I'm like, if you want to got to get on base, how about the guy that's heating up right now, seeing getting on base and he historically gets hot in June and uh, you kind of like, ah, yeah, we'll think about it. And he, he actually did, uh, you know, over the weekend, but I don't know what it is, but it, it is crazy because every June, I mean, the numbers are irrefutable that he just, he just heats yeah. up. So I think I say, I say ride it, you know, and just see how long he can keep it going. Yeah. Well, there you go. Now everyone knows who to, who to credit for Schwarber's uh, resurgence <laughs> over the past week or so. And that is you. I want to get into the bullpen a little bit, which has been pretty good. Obviously yesterday, um, Wheeler throws seven and a third of no hit ball. Um, Sir Anthony kind of, well, I don't, I don't want to say he gave up the lead because there was like a random bunt. He already had first and yeah, third that- with one out. Then there was a random bunt that you can't really do anything about. He gets a double play. Kimbrell runs into some trouble in the ninth, which has been rare for him recently, but overall the bullpen has been really great. And um, Jose Alvarado is coming back today, Friday against the Dodgers. What have you seen from that group? Is this, is the bullpen just like really good? Obviously the Phillies pen has been a thing for the last few years. So it was, it was good last year, but I mean, we all remember 2021, 2020, especially it was just night in on, I mean, every single night it was like, this lead's gone. This tie is going to be, you know, over soon. So uh, what have you seen from that group and what, how much stronger is it going to be? I guess it's kind of a rhetorical question, but how much stronger is it going to be back when they get their best piece back? Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot stronger and it is kind of crazy to think about. I, I, I was talking about the bullpen just the other day with somebody. I said, isn't it crazy that if you said right now, what is this team's strength? People would probably go, oh, the, the bullpen for sure is the team's strength because the offense has been inconsistent. We've talked about the rotation with the number five spot and some of the ups and downs of Walker and whatnot and some of the other guys. Uh, you know, the defense is the defense. And so you're going – going into the season, you would have never said mm-hmm. this team's strength is going to be the bullpen. like that. And if, and if you said that, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, something has seriously gone wrong. But Alvarado, you mentioned before he got hurt on – unhittable amazing could have been you know on on pace to be an all-star um you know Kimbrel he got blown up in in LA in early May but he's been really good since and I think yesterday's Thompson said it you know they had that throwing error on the pickoff play maybe rattle him a little bit and caused him to kind of struggle the rest of that inning but he got out but he's been really good you know Soto's Soto's been solid you know the up and down you know they've they've been they've been pretty good and it's I think it'll be nice if they can keep doing this when you get to the trade deadline, there's not going to be this urgency. Like you got to fix a bullpen. You got to fix a bullpen. Now you might be able to focus your energies into the number five starter. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to get, you know, an, another bat on the bench that can maybe play some outfield, some corner outfield, uh, you know, assuming Harper can play first base and then you can DH Schwarber, you know, something like that. You can, focus your energies elsewhere. So it's a nice change of pace, I think, for the Phillies to have some some of these relievers actually stepping up and doing a decent job. It's been a long time. I mean, yeah, you're right. You know, 2020, you know, Heath Hembry and Brandon yeah. and Workman. And, it was um, just clinical. It was every single yeah, night. Yeah, every single night it was just like, hold on to your butts because this is going to get ugly fast. And almost every night it, it got ugly fast. And so, um, it, you know, and I think too, you know, players won't necessarily admit it, but it is such a morale killer to have a bullpen go out and just blow it every night. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I remember years and years and years ago um, when the Phillies traded for Billy Wagner, I was talking with Dallas Green in Clearwater and he's like, he's like, that guy is so important and everybody kind of downplays the closer and now it's just three outs, but he's like, there is no worse feeling than playing your butt off for eight innings, taking a three, one lead in the ninth, and then having some guy go in and blow it over and over and over again. It's just a sick, depressing morale killer. And so to have a bullpen that can finally go out and lock the door or shut, you know, close the door is, is huge for this team. Yeah. I remember like the saving grace of the 2020 pen was Blake Parker. Like if he was down, yeah. they were screwed. And then I was like, dude, Ramon Rosa is going to be discussing someday. And um, <laughs> now they have a guy who just got his 400 save and he's probably like the fourth option in the bullpen. So um, they've come a long way for sure. The last topic, yeah. Todd, I want to get to here. There were some ownership changes, a little restructuring earlier this this week. Why don't you run us through those? What exactly the changes were? Um, and then we can get into what it sort of means for the long-term financial outlook of the of the club. Yeah, so um, a guy by the name of Stan Middleman, who founded Freedom Mortgage, he grew up in Philly. Um, he is buying a third of the interest from the Buck family. And uh, that makes, there is no majority owner of the Phillies now, but John Middleton owns the majority of the shares. He owns 48.75% of the Phillies. Uh, the Bucks had owned 48.75%. Now they dropped down, I think, boy, my math, 38.5%. Uh, Stan Middleman is going to own 16.25%. And then you have Pat Gillick and David Montgomery taking up, uh, Dave Montgomery's family taking up the remaining 2.5%. Um, and that's a something that they the Phillies have been talking about for a while, ownership had been talking about for a while. Like, you know, you have John Middleton's family, the Buck family, taking on all the financial risk, you know, being, you know, they wanted to, they've been talking about expanding ownership to maybe inject some more cash, pay down some debt from the COVID pandemic. You know, they've got some big projects uh, in Clearwater in terms of the complex and whatnot. And uh, if you can add some more cash, add another owner, add some more financial support, they, they think that that will, you know, make them, you know, uh, strengthen their financial position. But it was, it was interesting because it was, legit the first significant addition to ownership since the Middleton family came aboard 94, you know, mm -hmm. since then it had been, it basically had been people selling their shares off, you know, Bill Giles, you know, Claire Betts passed away, you know, th those types of things. They've been kind of basically building the shares to the Middleton family, to the Buck family. And now this is the first significant cash infusion they've gotten in, in quite some time. Yeah. The way I kind of read into this and you can kind of tell me if I'm wrong, I might be, but it's like when I first saw the news, I was like, there's no more actual cash being put into the team. Right. Because like the tax is still the same. The market's still the same. Player contracts are still, you know, moving one way at the same rate. But I, I kind of thought it was more about the financial risk of it all. Like if you have more people throwing less into a, a given contract or a given project or whatever, like that makes it a lot easier to make that commitment. If the, you have more people, like you could find, you know, a, a lot of people to put in $1 toward Shohei Otani. But if you have one guy and say, okay, pay him 600, you know, whatever it might take, like that's a lot harder to do. I don't know. It, it, is that a fair way to read it? Is it, is it, or is there actually more? I mean, obviously if you have more 
rich people on, on, on board, that means there's more money to go around too. So maybe I'm just completely off base. No. Yeah. I think, I think just spreading it around a little bit for sure. And that's, and that's, you know, again, like paying down some of the debt from the pandemic, you know, when they, when it comes time to break ground on some of these improvements at the complex, Mm -hmm. you talk about ups and downs financially, just from season to season. Yeah. You know, if you have another person in there with deep pockets that can shoulder some of this burden, I think that that, that goes a long way. And so I think, you know, you know, by Stan Middleton, Stan Middleman, I think, you know, probably around $400 million to buy, you know, so that's $400 million now that, you know, the, that the Phillies have, you know, to use with how, however they want to use it. If, you know, and now this is now I get, you know, I, I know right away that people are going, Oh my gosh, now they're going to go out. You mentioned Otani. Maybe yeah. they go out and get Otani. I don't know. I, I, I just have, I guess I personally have a hard time imagining Sho- Shohei Otani playing for the Phillies, but you know, there's it, it at least allows them to continue to be high spenders. I don't think you're going to see next season, for instance, the Phillies payroll go up from 250 million to 450 million. I don't think that that's yeah. what this was about. I think it was about some of those other things I mentioned. And like you mentioned, you know, spreading or spreading the risk around um, and, and the financial commitments to make it, make it less more painful for, you know, if things go south one way or the other. Yeah. And, and, and one thing that, um, you know, they were, they were talking about when they, when this change happened was like, they wanted to make sure that it was somebody who would be willing to spend and was like, I don't care how much money I make. John Middleton had said like, nobody cares or knows what the 27 Yankees made. They care that they were like the greatest team of all time. So um, right. I guess it, if, if you just have more people on board that are also like that, because that seemed kind of like, a prerequisite to anybody joining this ownership group. If you have more people that are like, let's win at all costs, I guess that can only help the team too. Yeah. I don't think you wanted a guy that like, Hey, I'll contribute this money just so I can, cause I, cause I think it's cool that I'm a part owner, but yeah. then, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to go out. I don't want to, uh, you know, sign this picture or whatever. That's, you know, I just want to kind of like, you know, go to the owners meetings and be on the field if they win the world series, but I don't actually want to. So I, yeah, John made that clear. Like, listen, if you're in, you're in because I, I want to win. And I think that's, that's a cool in Philly for sure. You want to have an owner with that type of attitude. Like I'm not, you know, 40 years from now, 50 years from now, I'd like to be remembered as the guy that helped the Phillies win a few world series, not as the guy who owned the Phillies and didn't spend any money because I was worried about the bottom line. You know, that's not, that's not the legacy that John Middleton wants. And I think he made that clear to Stan Middleton. Like you're not doing this just to like put this on your resume, like, uh, you know, and and hang out and brag to your friends at the country club or whatever. Yeah. Well, I grew up in A's land, so it's a kind of worlds apart in terms of where the two um, philosophies are, if you will, I guess. So I think that's going to be all the time we have for today's pod. Todd, thank you again so much for joining Um, The Phillies obviously are about to play three against the Dodgers and then four against the Diamondbacks, which would be a good test for sort of where this team is at, whether the five game win streak is the start of something or whether it's just another five game win streak. Um, But we'll talk about all that at a later time. Todd, thank you again for joining the pod. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We will talk to you next time.